This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. Oh, yes. Episode 41 of the Tackle Yanks podcast. We've been having some fun guests recently, Tack. It's, um, it's been fun having like different debates and discussions. The last one was with MLS Buzz. We talked about the Wrexham versus MLS debate, a little bit about Club World Cup. Before that, we talked about a Tyler Adams overrated with um, Adam from USMNT underscore Stan on Twitter. Today, it's just boring old us. It's just you and me. But, the but I think we're going to... exciting. But I think we're going to debate here today, me and you. We are going to do a debate, guys. So a couple of things we're going to do. Number one, we're going to talk about the future of CONMEBOL and CONCACAF because it does seem, based on recent announcements, that the paths, I don't know if they're permanently merging, but they're headed in, the, in a direction of at least, at the very least, strong cooperation, which is good for both, both regions. Um so yeah, we're going to do that, but then we're also going to rank the national teams of both North and South America, the top 10 national teams in the Americas, and that's where we may disagree on some things. So that will be fun. In Central America, by the way. So the CONCACAF and Comebol, we're going to be yeah. debating our top 10 ranking, and, and we sort of talked about it in the past, and it seemed like we didn't fully agree. So that'll be a fun one. I'm, I'm interested in seeing your list on this one here. But anyhow, I think it's more complicated. It's not black and white. It's it's complex. I'll say that. Yeah, it is. It is. But Brazil's the greatest one. We'll we'll talk about that. We'll see. <laughs> but, with my ranking, Brazil one, United States two. After that, I don't care. Everybody don't else, know. Grenada but, in third. Grenada because of Jesus. Jesus ranked. <laughs> Jesus ranked Grenada third. Exactly. Uh, but Pete, before we even start that, and keep in mind, everyone, we're going to be bringing more guests. We're more than open on bringing guests that entirely disagree with us. We mm -hmm. want to have open discussions. Unlike a good part of U.S. soccer, we actually very much enjoy bringing guests with different opinions. As long as they can back their opinions, we don't yeah. have to agree towards the end. We're going to bring more guests. So when we share this on Twitter, tag accounts that you think are valuable and have good takes, even if we disagree that we'll gladly bring them here, and we're going to have a discussion debate. That's our goal here. We want to give all point of views of U.S. soccer a voice. And then, you know, the fans, everyone can decide what's probably the right one. 
yeah, make up their own mind. I mean, some of them aren't really facts also. Some of them are opinions. So make up your own mind. But I think what we want to do with this podcast and also even in the future with our channels is make it like the, you know, the bar or the coffee shop of the American soccer landscape where everybody can come and have discussions and we can debate sometimes fiercely, sometimes passionately and disagree because that's what football culture, soccer culture is around the world. Like, I mean, I've told this story many times, but I'll never forget the two Italians in Milan debating Christian Vieri versus uh, Filippo Inzaghi, you know, for hours in very angry tones in very Italian style. But I loved that that was so, I love the intensity. I love the, the opinions. And, and I, I want, I mean, we talked about this, but we want the podcast to be that. Pete, I, when I coached at Orlando City Soccer School, I worked with Renato Abreu. Uh, people can look him up. Fantastic player, professional player for Flamengo. One of the best players of all time for Flamengo. He even made it to the Brazilian national team at one point. And we were, we finished the practice ses session with the kids there, the teenagers. And then me and him started debating one thing. Who was better? Marcos, the goalkeeper from 2002 yeah. in the Brazil national team that was from Palmeiras, or the current Palmeiras goalkeeper? I'm saying the current one. He's saying the old one. Mm. And we went on all the way to the parking lot debating that. And we stayed there for probably 45 minutes debating that. And then... One of the guys that was one of the boss, he walks by 45 minutes. He's like, you guys are literally debating which goalkeeper is best from different generation for 45 minutes. And it looks like you two are fighting. We're not fighting. And we never got into an agreement. But, I mean, that's just part of it. And I think yeah. in U.S. soccer culture, I think people don't embrace that. When we disagree on Twitter, people think you're being a dick. It's like, no, we're not being a dick. That's how you yeah. talk and or discuss it. Or a hater. That's or a hater. I th and that's why we welcome people that disagree. And look, if you think you have good opinions tag yourself maybe we'll reach out we're gonna we are gonna look at who we're gonna bring in we can't just bring anyone yeah. that um you don't have to have a following but we need to see like what it takes you're going we can't bring crazy in town we can't well, put crazy you also have to be able to articulate why you believe what you believe in an intelligent thoughtful way like you can't just be a hot take merchant and also you do have to have a decent mic because if you're going to come on a podcast you have to have decent quality sound yeah better than ours no but but pete why don't we start <laughs> Why don't we start the news? So he talked about a common ball, CONCACAF, not merger, but right now it's a partnership. It's a partnership. One of the parts, of, one part of the partnership is at the national team level. The other one's the club level. At the club level, it's a final four style tournament where two teams, two clubs from South America in common ball and two clubs from CONCACAF will face each other in this yearly tournament that's supposed to start in 2024. Now, they didn't reveal details of how they're going to qualify, who's going to play, or what even the format is. It might just be a group. It might be a, a semifinal and a final. Uh, me and P were talking about it. it. It might be just the two finalists of the Libertadores versus the two finalists of the CONCACAF Champions League. We don't know. So there's not much to speculate there. Can but I I'll speculate say about another option that it could be? Oh, absolutely. It could be the winner of League's Cup and the winner of CCL. You might be right. Maybe the winner of the Libertadores and the winner of the Copa Sudamericana. Maybe yeah, because that, that might... might be CONCACAF's way of trying to legitimize League's Cup because they kind of invented League's Cup out of nowhere, right? It's not a FIFA tournament. So and it make it worth be, something. Yeah, make it worth something so that like the Mexican teams maybe send, you know, the Liga MX teams send their full-strength teams and really fight for something. So they might do that, but we have no idea. You're right. We have no idea. Yeah. But overall, I love this. And I'll tell you why I love it. Uh, well, first and foremost, there's a big bias on my end, right? These are the two confederations I follow. So for me, I love anything related to this. But what I love about this is in South America right now, people like Argentine fans might not like to hear this, but 
there is a gap growing between the Brazilian clubs and the South American clubs. If you go back to the 2000s, Argentine clubs had an advantage against Brazilian clubs. They used to win more, right? It was frustrating. Boca, River were a pain for Brazil to deal with. It switched. And you look at the past Libertadores, the finals are always Brazilian. The last four winners were, well, actually the last four were just Palmeiras or Flamengo, the last four. So it's becoming very dominant. What's going to do, what it's going to do here, it's going to bring in more money to the other teams participating, right? To the Can, confederations. Just Hopefully, really quick tax, sorry to interrupt you. Just tell us why Brazil is pulling away from Argentina. Because I know it had something to do with some rules they made. Yeah, it. so I forgot the name of the rule. What happened in the past was the previous Brazilian president changed something into law, which allowed the clubs to have private ownership um, okay. and foreign investment. Foreign investment in. was the big one, I think. Yeah, so if you look at a couple teams in Brazil, for example, Botafogo was bought by John Texter, the owner of Crystal Palace, right? Mm -hmm. He bought Botafogo, investing money. Bahia was bought by Citigroup. Yeah. Uh, and also something that the president put into law the former one, right? Um, it was Bolsonaro at the time. It was something that the clubs in Brazil, a lot of the money they made was the, like the TV deals were negotiated by the Federation. But then he passed something into law that the clubs could negotiate their own. And then you saw certain clubs like Flamengo's revenues, the big clubs, right? With a lot of fans, Flamengo, mm -hmm. Palmeiras, Corinthians, their revenue just skyrocketed. And then foreign investors came in. So there's a lot of money pouring into Brazil in that sense. And like, I don't know, like the exact number, but it was reported that Flamengo made 200 million euros in revenue last year, which that's like top five league numbers. Yeah. Um, the Palmeiras coach makes more money than the Dortmund coach. So yeah. it's becoming a league as rich as like European leagues to a certain extent, while the other South America, like Argentina, their economy hurt the league so badly. Yeah. Right. And they're still developing players, but they can't really keep them very much. And they're even losing some players to major league soccer that we've seen. Yeah. And a lot to Europe very early. So Argentina is not as strong as they used to be in the club level, for sure. The other South American leagues was, were always a bit worse outside of Uruguay with paying at all Nacional sometimes popping up. But I do like that. Hopefully they do the right thing and they dilute that money to other na national nations. Of course, I love Brazil being stronger. But if, if you go to this tournament and it's always two Brazilian teams, this gap is going to get worse. It's not yeah. going to help the, the confederation. You need to find a way to make it trickle down. Yeah. And for CONCACAF, I mean, what else do we want? MLS has been competing with Liga Mekis for years now, and we've been yeah. improving. Yeah. Now we're going to get to play Brazilian clubs, Argentine yeah. clubs, Ecuadorian clubs, and we might play away. That'll give a different experience. Playing away in Comebol is tough. It'll be crazy. And I think it just benefits both confederations. And one thing to add, and I think we were talking about this before, you put in a FIFA Club World Cup, for example, big teams like Real Madrid don't care very much. Right, they don't care very much, but Brazilian teams, Argentine teams, when they come here to play the United States teams or Mexican teams, they will care. They will give their all. They're going to want to win. It's going to be a big challenge for MLS. It's going to be. Yeah. I, I love it. I love what what the club thing that they put out. And just in a macro sense too, UEFA has kind of dominated, um, you know, football for a long, long time. Glo the global game. And nobody else could really keep up <clears throat> or catch up, part, partially because of economics, finances. Um, that's really, honestly, the reason, infrastructure. But it's not that CONMEBOL and CONCACAF are merging. But if they start this cooperation, for example, we see with Copa America. Copa America, maybe not right now, but down the line, 
has the potential to challenge the euros in terms of popularity and interest, simply because by adding six nations from CONCACAF, you, A, you've increased the quality of the tournament, okay? Because Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. are already better than some CONMEBOL teams, and it does seem like at least the U.S. certainly, and even Canada to a degree, are on the rise. So already you've increased the quality and the competitiveness of the tournament, right? The second thing is population and interest, right? North America alone is about 600 million more people that would watch. Mm -hmm. And yep. not just that, Copa America, if you have, if Copa America was North and South America, it would be even more interesting. Now, a lot of people around the world don't really watch Copa America unless they have some connection to it or until there's the final, right? Mm -hmm. But now it might become a lot more interesting for different people around the world because you have the US, Mexico, Canada. These are not giants of the game, but the US is making some noise in the global game, right? They're, they're making some noise. So now for like teams that maybe have Americans on them and the fans start like, I'll bet you some Leeds fans will want to watch Copa America if the US is in it just to watch McKinney, Adams and Aronson. You know what I mean? Like bringing Conmebol on board adds to the quality. It also adds to the prestige of the tournament. And not now because we have a long way to go to catch up with UEFA. But I think down the line, if they do it right and if they spread out the, the money well and make sure that money goes towards not just player development, but infrastructure development. I think that's where South America can, still has some catching up to do. Certain parts of South America, right? I think all countries besides Brazil right now. Well, even the U.S. in terms of like stadiums and places to play, right? It's one of the leaders as far as quality. Not size, but quality, right? The MLS stadiums are generally new, nice stadiums to play in. Outside of that, the turf situation. They need to get rid of turf because that's... A yeah, like you... So just to go back to one thing real quick the law that was passed was that in brazil and i'm sorry to go back to this it was it allowed soccer clubs in brazil to become companies they were right. they they weren't so that's what allowed foreign investors and foreign monies coming into the brazilian league but back to what you were saying absolutely uh if the money trickles down and it's and let's assume there's no corruption or minimal corruption right they use it right I was going to use the allegedly corruption, but it's not even alleged. It's not even allegedly at this point for them. It's literally documented. Yeah, it's documented. But as long as there's no corruption, they do it right. It should help. A lot of the countries do need to improve their soccer infrastructure, right? Yeah. I think in the Americas, honestly, only Brazil is the one because Brazil has the World Cup stadiums and new stadiums. They have great training facilities, the, the big clubs. There's a lot of money, but the U.S., it's mostly good, but for sure, like you said, it can improve. Mexico could use some of the money. Canada has to improve a lot. And then you go to the other. The, the problem is, as much as we say it's like CONCACAF and Comebol, sometimes it almost sounds like it's Canada, U.S., and Mexico and Comebol. We have yeah. to find a way to get these other confederations to improve, uh, these yeah. other nations. And I think, and I don't know if you agree with me on this, I think naturally they will improve because what it will do is more money will come into Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer is full of dual nationals. And it's going to get to a point where a lot of good dual nationals will not make it to the Mexican team, the United States team. And they're going to go play for Honduras, Guatemala, Costa Rica, any of these teams. So I think if uh, I think the best way to improve CONCACAF's national teams in general, yeah. not, not only the U.S., but in general, is for MLS and even USL to a certain extent to improve their development. That's yeah. what's going to carry. That's what I think, at least. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I mean, already you're looking at the youth rosters of countries like, so for example, we have the under 17 um, World Cup qualifiers coming up this month. 
Canada and I think Jamaica have already both named theirs. They both have players that were developed in MLS academies. In fact, dual nets were American eligible. This is going to keep happening. El Salvador, for example. The future Christian Roldans aren't going to be representing the U.S., right? They're going to be representing mm -hmm. El Salvador. Um, I think Jamaica is a big one that needs development and infrastructure because you can't just keep trying to recruit talent from England. You need to get your own talent development. And mm -hmm. even if you're not going to do it, MLS is going to do it for you. That's just the reality, right? CONCACAF, North America is all very, I don't, I don't want to sound like braggy, but USA centric. Like the US is doing the best job right now at player development of everybody in North America. And it's not close, right? Even Mexico is not developing the same kind of talent that the US is developing. So that is going to trickle down to all the other teams. And you're right. It can't just be the US, Mexico, and Canada. We need Costa Rica to continue to level up um, with this new generation. We need Jamaica, El Salvador, Honduras, Panama, even teams like Suriname, for example. Who's going to cross the ball to Geraldo Becker? In Suriname, this guy's playing at Union Berlin, starting weekend and Ryan weekend. Donk. Ryan Donk is going to send a long ball to him. Ryan Donk. They've got like two guys. I mean, those are good. They can get those dual nats. But again, they but need Donk that. is like forty, I think. <laughs> is he still playing? I believe so, but he's like forty, probably. Yeah, they they need new talent, but that's what it will do. And not just that, too. MLS is also helping to develop talent for, say, Venezuela. Like, look at um, or Paraguay, for example. Look at. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name from Newcastle. Miguel Amiron. Miguel Amiron, right? He came, he wasn't developed by MLS, but MLS became a, a stepping stone for him to, you know, to go to Europe. There are a lot of smaller teams in Conmebol that I think would really benefit by sending their players to MLS as well if they are not ready for Europe. Even Argentina, a lot of kids are not ready for Europe yet. The top ones in Argentina and Brazil will go, right? Even Brenner, I mean, did he benefit by going to Cincinnati or did that hold him back? That's kind of a different debate. But I think that will continue to help the region well, to grow. Thales Magno to New York was a great move for Thales Magno. He was a big prospect in Brazil, but then his team started to suck. Vasco got relegated. He injured his knee, had bad. So he needed a fresh start. And sometimes for young players in countries like South America, the pressure is too much. It's kind of tough, right? You need to perform yeah. right away. MLS allowed him to get back from injury, allowed him to get his confidence. And he's playing well. He's going to go to Europe very soon. Yeah. So I think even Brazilian players um, will be using Of course, the Hendrix, the Vinicius Jr., they're going to go to Real Madrid. That's going to happen. But one level below that, which are players that can make the national team in Brazil at some point, they can come to MLS and figure it out. But not quite there yet, but they're working towards that. Ecuador is a market that MLS should exploit or not really exploit, but look into because Ecuador has been doing an amazing job developing and they're cheap. Brighton knows that, right? You can get cheap players that play at a very high level. Look at Moises Caicedo, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, many others too. But Pete, the Copa America too, because we talked about the club. The Copa America, the format's supposed to be the 10 Comibon nations, right? Plus yeah. six CONCACAF nations that will qualify through the CONCACAF Nations League. Now, they didn't really make it clear of how they're going to qualify. Is it going to be the four finalists and maybe the two other teams that had the best performance and didn't qualify? Um, they didn't make that clear. Now, nevertheless, the United States is hosting the Copa America in 2024, so I'm assuming we're automatically qualified. And even if we're not, we need to make it to the semifinals at least of the Nations League in CONCACAF. It's the bare minimum. Not even the bare The bare minimum is the final. <laughs> Yeah, the bare uh, minimum is actually win it, to be honest, at this point. Yeah, should be win it. But uh, so that's how it's going to be the Copa America. And we've been talking about this for long. I don't think we need to dive into the Copa America too much. There's 
several benefits for it, right? For all nations, gonna for Comebol, it's mostly, uh, I guess, money. You bring in more money, but there is benefits from a competitive level because when we do the rankings of the Americas here, we're gonna see that there are Concacaf teams that are better than other Comebol nations. So that means you are elevating that floor of Comebol by competing. I mean, the Mexico and the U.S will put a bigger challenge against Brazil than Bolivia, besides when they play in La Paz, right? Outside yeah. of La Paz. So you're elevating the quality. You're giving Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay a bigger challenge. Is it the ideal challenge for them? No, I still think Argentina, Brazil need to be competing with some World Cup contenders, but it does help them, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, for this specific Copa America, from a Commonwealth perspective, okay, I don't know if you thought about this, it's kind of good for them. You know why, Pete? Yeah. No, forget money. 2026 World Cup. It's in the United States. They're yeah. going to get to know, maybe figure out where they want to stay, hotels, the stadiums they're going to play, the the everything, the the you know weather of where. So yeah. they're going to get to know a little bit more of the soccer environment of that they're going to live in 2026. So I'm not saying this is like a deal breaker, but I mean getting to know the country you're going to go for the World Cup can help a little bit, right? So it's a good experience for the Commonwealth nations in that sense because the World Cup will be hosted in North America in 2026. Also, when we talk about uh, just the money side of things, right? How many South American fans live in the United States who'd be a more lot. than happy, right, to go see their teams live and in person? I remember in 2016, all my Argentine friends in Chicago were so excited to be able to go see Argentina in person, um, you know, because they were playing there in Chicago. Now, the other thing to think about money from a money perspective is U.S. soccer. I don't know if you remember this, but they had a $100 million surplus from the last Copa America that sort of got worked into the U.S. budget, uh, into U.S. Soccer Federation's budget. Now, a lot of that was spent on a lot of things that shouldn't have been spent on, lawyers, whatnot. But this next cycle... Burhalter. Burhalter, Ernie Stewart's <laughs> salary, all these things. <laughs> but here's the thing. When we talk about hiring a new coach and who we can afford and cannot afford... Now, if you have a $100 million surplus, and it's going to be more, by the way, because that was six, seven years ago, eight by the time it actually happens, prices will be higher. The, you know, soccer as a, as a sport in popularity has grown since 2016. So it's going to be even higher. You could be talking about 130, 140, 150 million as a, as a surplus for U.S. soccer that they can then use for, hopefully, for, fed, for development, for a good coach, a proper sporting director, Maybe more futsal courts, better jerseys to play, better, better jerseys. <laughs> better jersey. No, that's on Nike. Well, it's on both of them, but it's not a money problem. It's a it's an idiot problem. Anyways, yeah. I just think that that is good for the game here, right? If it's used well, that's it. That's the caveat. It has to be used well. But also talk about the future. I think that World Cup qualifying is going to be really weird in Conmebol in the next after twenty twenty six, even for twenty twenty six. Everyone qualifies. Is it seven? Is that what they get? Seven. Seven and a half, I think. So seven and a half out of 10 qualified. That's like MLS playoffs. Like 75% of the league qualifies for the playoffs. That's me, even worse than MLS. I think MLS playoff, it's like 60%. 75% of you qualify. How boring is qualifying going to be? It's only going to be interesting at the bottom. Like who are the two that are going to miss out? Um, I'm checking here. Actually, Comeball will have six and one third, whatever that means. Okay. What that so, means is the third is going to have to place two games probably to qualify. The seventh place, right? Six, seventh place. So out of 10, 60% qualifies directly. So which, it's MLS playoffs. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's worse, actually. 
I think MLS it's about playoff. the same. MLS no, MLS usually... playoffs is eight out of 14. This is going to be six out of 10. It's worse. Yeah, I mean, it's about, it's roughly the same. The point being, what would make that more interesting? Now, what if you merge, not for 2026, I don't think that will happen because the US, Mexico, and Canada don't have to qualify. But for the subsequent cycle, 2030, what if you merged CONMEBOL and CONCACAF qualifying? Now, obviously, you can't do it the same way where it's one big, long group of however many teams. You might have to do something the way that UEFA does it, maybe, where mm-hmm. you have two te- two good teams in each group, or, well, quote-unquote, good teams in each group of like eight, groups of five or six. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a possibility. I know that FIFA is interested in more cooperation and possibly even a merger between Conmebol and CONCACAF in the future. And before anyone says that traveling would be a problem, it really wouldn't in terms of logistics. What you would do, let's say you have a group and half of that group is CONCACAF, half is CONMEBOL. You just need to have, like, for example, the CONCACAF team, if they're going to play Brazil, have all their away games be on that window. So they play Brazil, then Argentina. There you go. Now, the Libertadores, that is a problem merging because you do have home and away games. And then, I don't know, you have the Seattle Sounders having to go fly to Buenos Aires to play in back. And that is too much. And then you have time zone issues. You could do a semi-merger where you have, let's say, CONCACAF Champions League going on simultaneously to Libertadores. Then at around the quarterfinals, all the teams merge and it becomes a different tournament. So let's say the last eight or maybe even the last four from 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 uh, Libertadores and from CONCACAF CCL come and they and it becomes a quarterfinal again. You could I do that. Know. One thing I thought about was since we're going to have the Copa America, right, that should be every four years, kind of like the Euros is, you could have a summer tournament or I don't know, mid-season, whatever. I don't care when because the calendars are weird, right? Brazil, Brazil's summer, I mean, Brazil's winter is the summer here. And they're playing, right? So you can do it mid-season there. And, and MLS, MLS's calendar and the Brazilian calendar are the same. So what you could do is you can just do a tournament where you qualify maybe 24 clubs hosted in one country, mm-hmm. like a like a um, the King of Americas tournament. And you have, I don't know, 12 from CONCACAF, 12 from Comebol. Uh, each confederation can figure out their own criteria and have it in like for three weeks in one country. And that'll be exciting. Like kind of like a World Cup, right, of the Americas. Yeah. Sort of like the, what we're doing with League's Cup. Yeah, yeah. But with the Americas in one location, I think that is an interesting idea. I think fans would embrace it. At least I yeah. would like it. And I would even, love it for, for MLS development because there are so many meaningless MLS games throughout the season that don't actually help develop players at all. You know, they don't get to be introduced to an actually really intense environment. There's no consequences. Whereas a knockout tournament and you lose, you go home and the club loses money because every time you advance, you get more money, right? Because of the TV deal. There's some actual consequences against quality opposition, going down to South America and experiencing the passion, the intensity, going to Boca, River, you know, uh, to Flamengo. To playing the Almeida. altitude for a little bit there in La Paz. Yeah, playing the altitude, like playing shit stadiums, play against... Qual- like it's. I know we play in shit stadiums sometimes in in CONCACAF, but it's the quality of opposition or, is also terrible. Or at the U.S. Open Cup. Right. But the quality is also terrible of, of a lot of the teams you end up playing. So playing in a terrible stadium against a really good team makes that even more difficult. And it's just mm-hmm. good for development. Yeah, I, I think overall there's 
mostly only benefits here as long as they do things right, as long as corruption doesn't get on the way. It's something I, I understand also there's going to be some pushback from like South American fans sometimes. Like, why are we, you know, working with the Americans there? They suck at soccer or, or football or football, whatever they want to call. But as someone that is from South America myself, uh, I think over time they'll embrace it. And it's just a little bit of like a bias against like North American soccer, Canada, the U.S., uh, over time, the rivalry will grow. And once they play an MLS club, they're going to take it seriously because they're not going to want to lose. And when they lose to an MLS club, that will spice things up, which it could happen. It could happen. I'm, sh I'm sure the clubs that win the Libertadores would be the favorites. But if it's a one-leg knockout round, who knows? Who knows what can happen? But, Pete, be should we go on to our rankings uh, before, obviously, our sponsor? But should we go on to our rankings? Yes, let's do that. That's the rankings. And we have a very interesting review to read today on iTunes. So let me go on through our sponsor, DraftKings. And then we have a great review. The greatest review we've ever gotten, actually. I love, it. I love it. And we're going to try to guess who it was. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. So all you have to do right now is download the app and sign up with the code TBPN. That is TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with the code TBPN. Play with responsibility. Thank you very much, DraftKings Sportsbook. And now the review. Pete, I can't hear you right now. Wait, wait. Okay, so we always read the reviews that people put on uh, Apple Podcasts, and generally they're quite positive, and we're grateful for that. Now, unfortunately, there are people who intensely dislike us for many possible reasons, and we have one of those today. We got a one-star rating from him. Uh, his <laughs> The title of his review is Brain Dead. Now, I wasn't sure if he was talking about himself or about us, and this is from Not A Wop. I, I don't know what a WAP is. Do you know what a WAP is? It's brain dead. <laughs> Whatever it is, he wants you to know he is not it. We should look up. You should look up Urban Dictionary. What is a WAP? Because I think that might be important to know if you. It's not, but he says, stupid hot takes from a couple of nobodies. Okay. Get your analysis and news from real reporters and journalists. No explanation, just stupid hot takes. So, First of all, no problem. You can have your opinion, sir or ma'am or whatever you are. Uh, try to be a little more, like if you're going to insult people, try to be more creative with your insults. That's my big thing. Have you ever seen the movie Cyrano de Bergerac? No, I don't even know what you just said. It's an old play about a French, like a musketeer. And he has this really long nose and, you know, people insult him. Like one time he's insulted in a bar. The guy comes up to him and says, you have a very large nose. And he grabs the guy, he pulls him back. He's like, really? That's your original insult. Come on. There's so many things you could have said. And, and that's kind of how I feel here. Feel free to criticize us, but come on, you can do so. We have plenty of flaws. So pick some of our real flaws instead of just like throwing out your anger. Well, the, the main problem here too is um, if you dislike a podcast, okay. And this is a lesson to anyone that doesn't like a podcast. Okay. Be smart with your criticism to actually lower their credibility try to do it in a man like 
this is a brain dead review itself. Like the title works perfectly to what he wrote, because if he goes on and he says, this is a very bad podcast and let me elaborate why. And then he gives his reasoning. When you read it, you're like, oh, wait, wait a second. This guy makes sense. When you write it that way, people just look at it and just said, dude, you're either a troll, a hater, or just stupid or all of them, whatever it is. Yeah. The thing is, if you elaborate a good criticism, well, I don't want to spend way, way too much time on this. I kind of wanted to try to guess allegedly who it is. <laughs> I mean, we have no idea who it is, but I will say that honestly, if you really dislike our podcast that much, you probably shouldn't listen to it. It's probably bad for your mental health if it's making you that angry. Who's putting a gun to his head? No idea. Pete, Pete. Why Did don't you, you speculate? It? If you want to speculate about who it is, but I, I, what I want to find out is who the real journalists are, right? Are they ex-players who got hired by the Federation or by MLS? Are they now real journalists? Like what makes a real, do you need a degree in journalism to talk about soccer? This is my question. Because that's what he's suggesting. If you don't have a degree in journalism, you are a nobody and you should not be allowed to talk about soccer. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point for him. Very good point. I no don't one cares. That, take it all. Like, yeah, you let's... know that most of the people that he's probably watching on TV or listening to or being written about are do not have journalist credentials. I mean, they have journalist credentials, but they don't have journalist degrees. They don't have degrees in journalism. So Real journalists, send us a list. Who are these real journalists? Yeah, he should have sent a list on the review. Um, but but anyhow, he might be one of the journalists that's begging for 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 reviews. Maybe right no there. one's been reading his articles recently, so he's mad at us. Yeah, I think time. I I think I'm not going to say any names here, but I think he, I think <laughs> no. he covers I think he covers the Sounders. But <laughs> stop. But but, but <laughs> let's go on. Yeah, because because okay, I'm I'm going to end it right there. But let's yeah, go let's leave it there. I, I wish you all the best. And I, I think you should speak to your therapist about your angry issues. And I hope guys, I hope that people click on your, your, your journalist writings more like your, your articles more so that you can be of the sounders. not so angry of the sound. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Should we dive into the next one? Yes. Top 10 national teams of the Americas. Okay. Now this is where I really struggled when I was making my rankings. I'm like, how am I ranking this? Am I ranking this based on talent or am I ranking this by actual product on the field? Because my rankings would change and I might even address that. I might actually give two rankings depending on, because it's difficult. Having the most talent doesn't make you necessarily the best team. I want to go like this um, personally, but we can do both. We can do both. Okay. I don't want to do based off talent because like you kind of said, like off talent doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You can be the most talented team here and still like, so I want to do based on this, based on what we've been seeing in terms of performance. And mm -hmm. let's assume the team has a okay coach at least, or if they lost a coach, like for example, the United States, we don't have a coach right now, right? So it's Anthony, Anthony Hudson. Hudson. So it's kind of like confusing where it is, but let's assume we got like a Jim Curtin. That's not the greatest, but like where, how would we play? We're not sure. So we're kind of going to have to guess. So it's going to be a little bit based on play on the field, a little bit based on talent. We, you just use your arguments as we go. Um, we can kind of like skim through both. I think the place we're going to have some issues are from the fourth place to around the seventh, seventh or sixth place. Because outside of that, it's kind of easy to determine. So are we starting with the 10th and going up to the first or are we going first to 10th? Let's start with first. Sorry, okay. first. So 
I'll start with the first one. And this kind of like hurts me to say it because if we go based on talent, I would put Brazil number one, actually. I think Brazil has more talent. I think Brazil has more depth. But Argentina won the Copa America against Brazil mm -hmm. and they won the World Cup. So yeah. if I had to say right now, if they played each other, of course, it's 50-50. There's a rivalry and they're very much matched. But I can't not place Argentina number one after they just won the World Cup and they beat Brazil in the Copa America in Brazil. So as much as it hurts me, my number one, is Argentina for now. I think that'll change next year. Yeah. Well, dude, I was kind of hoping you would say Brazil so we could disagree because I was like, I mean, for sure, Tack's going to pick Brazil and then I'm going to call him out on his own BS and I'm going to say, you can't say based on on-field product because an on-field product, the team that won Copa America in the World Cup gets it. So yes, I agree with you there, but I also agree with you that Brazil has more talent. And if this was based on talent, I would put Brazil first. Me too, me too. But we're going based on results right now. And I think Brazil has more talent in the U20 level. We kind of just saw that in the U20 South America. Brazil had 3-0 yeah. lead till the end. Uh, a lot of players coming up, Andre Santos, Enrique. Argentina himself have it too. I just don't think it's at that level. But again, I think one thing, two factors, two things that factor in for Argentina is they still had Messi these two years. Uh, I don't think, I don't think, no. Brazil absolutely doesn't have a player at that level. The closest thing Brazil has is a Neymar, but Messi is just above that. And yeah. then you also have a player like Di Maria, which he scored in the Copa America final. He was the one that that beat Brazil right there. And Di Maria also was arguably top two, top three player in the World Cup final. So, yeah. And very, they're both 35 years old, right? Exactly. This is, this is where I think Argentina has real problems going forward. They are still extremely Messi-reliant, and even to a degree Di Maria. Both of those guys are at the very the very end of their careers. Di Maria may not honestly play much longer. He's so injured all the time. And even some of the other guys that they have, whether it's Paredes or whether it's um, a guy like, uh, I'm sorry, the center back from Spurs, Romero. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, there are lots of guys that have been a big part of that team that are aging out. And if you look at the young players coming through for Argentina, I don't see, I mean, Enzo Fernandez had a great World Cup and I'm very happy they have him. But I don't see the same level as Argentina has produced over the last 10 years coming through. And if you look at the amount of players that Argentina has exported to Europe over the last three, four years, it's significantly dropped compared to Brazil. In fact, even the U.S. is exporting more players. Now, obviously, the ones that Argentina does export are better, but there is a talent problem with Argentina right now I, compared so to what they have. I don't think they're going to drop out of like being a, a top you know, 10 team in the world. But I don't think they're going to be in contention for the next World Cup. Well, I, I think what's going to happen to Argentina, from what I'm seeing, it's just they're going to go back to the 2000s, the pre-Messi era, right? You go to Argentina, they're still going to have players at the level of Juan Riquelme, Ayala, Carlitos Tevez, Mascherano, which was more of like a Messi era, Zanetti, Sorin, yeah. um, go back Simeone. They're going to have those players, which are world-class players. And they're going to continue to have that. You do, They do have some young players coming up there. Um, I mean, Lataro's still fairly young, 24. Yeah, Alvarez. Garnacho, Garnacho's coming up. Luca Romero from Lazio's there. So they have good players. Enzo Fernandez is 21. So they have very good young players. But yes, uh, you remove Messi and Di Maria from any team, it's going to be a major blow. These are players that are irreplaceable, right? You can't replace Messi and Di Maria. You, Well, I mean, you can. Can you get another Diego Maradona? Can you get another... Yeah, but also the fact that they were so reliant on Messi in the last, I want to say, three World Cups. No, four. No, no. 2010, 14, 18, and 2022, four. Yeah, 
four World Cups, they've been so reliant on Messi. And then when he's gone, I think there's going to be a period of figuring it out who they are without Leo Messi and without Di Maria. So I do think they're going to drop below Brazil. Now, I'm not saying for anybody who's going to come and get angry on Twitter, I'm not saying that they're going to be a bad team. I just don't think they're going to be able to maintain these levels that we've seen from them over the last few years. I don't. No, and I agree with that too. I think our and, and again, the what's crazy is this Argentina drop off still has them as World Cup contenders, right? Just a level below what they are. They're still contenders with what they have. A good coach, yeah, it is, Pete. It still is. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. I yeah. think I think the drop off might be more significant than than we're thinking, but we'll see. Time it will tell. Be, but but if you have a team that has players like Kikelmi, Veron, Carlito, Steves, those guys, it's still a team to cause a lot of trouble. Still better than like a Dutch team. On an attacking perspective, yes. Well, yeah, sure, because they have world-class defenders right now, but yeah. still good defense. Emi Martinez will still be there for a while, the goalkeeper. Yeah, Emi's young enough, but that back line, back line's a little worse. Even at this World Cup, the back line wasn't the strongest, if we're being honest. Yeah, not the greatest there, but was enough. Uh, I Again, right now, we have to put Argentina one, Brazil second, but I yeah. think next year already in the Copa America, once Messi officially retires from the national team, or Messi finally slows down or Di Maria is gone, I think that's where Brazil makes that jump because Argentina is going to miss Messi a lot more than Brazil is going to miss Neymar. That is yes. the truth. Yes. That's I not agree. even close. Number three. Who's your three? It's Uruguay, and it's not close. I agree. I agree, actually. Uh, I think that one might be the easiest one because Uruguay is one of those teams that you look at the lower block. They're, they're above the lower block in talent and veterans and development, and they're quite noticeably below Brazil and Argentina, right? You still have Uruguay with players like Darwin Nunes, Fede Valverde, Ugarte is still there. Uh, Matias Vina just moved to the Premier League, the, the left back. I know he's not rated that highly right now. Oliveira is ahead of him, but he's a talented left back. Facundo Pelestri might become something. Ahascaeta is a bit older. He's like 28, but he's a very underrated player that came to the World Cup, scored two goals. So uh, they have young defenders too, like Araujo there. So Uruguay is always there always bringing players up. They've been developing well. They're sending players to Europe. I think they're the clear number three. And I know they got knocked down the group stage. People could use that against us in the World Cup. But again, uh, things happen in the World Cup, right? You got to really understand how they got knocked out. They struggled the first. It was most mostly because of that draw with South Korea. That's where they yeah. messed up. Yeah, They're still a very good team. This is still a very strong team. Uh, yeah, and if you look at them in Copa America, they finished third, right? So you're talking about... Over a larger sample size than a World Cup. I mean, the, the, I'm not I'm sorry, not Copa America, World Cup qualifying. Yeah, right? you're talking about 27 games. That's a much larger sample size. Or I'm, 18, I'm sorry, 18, 18, 18 games. Yeah, 18 games, 27 possible points. Nope, I'm wrong. No again. more, way more, way more. Yeah, yeah, way more. Because Brazil got 45. Sorry, just I'm on third up. place in Comebol. Just yeah, they got Brazil third place in Comebol over so many games that it's like that's more the standard I hold them to than three games at the World Cup. Well, and I want to add that they got, they finished third place and they struggled very badly early on. So if they, if they had done fine early on, I know they won the last four games to qualify to the World Cup, but if they had done well early on, they would have been comfortably third place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which they kind of were, but now number four, I want to oh, see man. where we get to this one. Now, look from, from national team four to, I think six, it's, it's close. I want to say one thing too, by the way. Um, 
I know I put out my ranking on Twitter. I did make some changes on it after doing more deep dives into this, just to make it clear. I did it like a, a, three weeks ago or so. Um, do you want me to put you, give you my four right now? Yeah, who's your fourth? My fourth right now is Ecuador. What about you? I disagree. Who and I know for? this is going to be unpopular. Let's but see why. I'll tell you why. Number one, Ecuador played decently well at the World Cup, right? They weren't amazing, but they weren't terrible, right? They gave good games to Senegal, right? They, they beat Qatar handily. They gave good games to, to, the, to the Dutch, even though they lost. I also think so my fourth is not Ecuador. My fourth is the United States. And I know that's a terrible sounding thing because it's like, wait a minute. The U.S. has looked pretty bad under Greg Berhalter. But here's my argument that at the World Cup, if we had two players, Giovanni Reyna and Chris Richards, starting for the U.S., we would have been about 20% better, in my opinion, because Richards is a massive upgrade on Walker Zimmerman. Right? I don't think we concede that goal to Wales if Richards starts, for example. Right? Um, Giovanni Reyna is an upgrade on every other attacker in our team except for Christian Pulisic. Right? So the fact that we didn't use him actually limited the ceiling of, of this team. It limited what this team could be. And I think it was close between the U.S. and Ecuador performance-wise at the World Cup. But I also think that with Chris Richards, if he was healthy, which he is now, right, so we can include him, like Ecuador didn't have anybody who made them that much better who wasn't at the World Cup. That was their big team, right? They had all their big guys. Estupinan, Caicedo, Valencia, Sarmiento, Incapié. And people talk about, like, for example, Piero Incapié. Well, he's 20 years old and he's starting for Bayer Leverkusen in the, in the Bundesliga. Yeah, Chris Richards at 20 was starting for Hoffenheim at a similar level and now is, you know, playing in the Premier League. So it's not like, you know, and I know Caicedo is a very good player, but the way I see Ecuador, and I know we're sort of, sort of verging off into, like, player quality now, I think that they have some very, very good players. You know, Piero Incapié, Moises Caicedo, uh, Jeremy Sarmiento, Purvis Estupinan, Ener Valencia. But then the rest of them are sur they're surrounded by like MLS and Liga MX level players. And I do think the U.S. is a better team with Gio Reyna and Chris Richards in that starting lineup. Yeah, I'll put it this way. Caicedo is better than all of our midfielders right now. Um, I agree. Besides like, well... I guess even like Gio Reyna potential-wise might be higher, but right now you you would pick Caicedo first. You wouldn't really think much about it. Pervis Estupinan is better than any fullback we have. Doesn't matter which one. Pervis Estupinan from Brighton. Agreed. In Capie, until Chris, if we see Chris Richards consistently play the way he's playing, I'll put them in the same level, but I think In Capie right now might be the most solid center back of them all. Let Goal me ask you this, though. Hmm. What's a better partnership? Tim Ream and Chris Richards, two Premier League center backs, or Felix Torres and Incapié. It's a you can't just one. look at isolated players too. You have to look at like Tim Ream is a starting center back, a top ten starting center back, not a, a top ten player, but for a top ten team right now. Yeah, it's a tough one to say. Like Ecuador's defense definitely looked better than ours in the World Cup, obviously because you know um, they. I mean, they had their best defenders. We were missing Chris Richards. And also Carter Vickers is probably better than Zimmerman. And he didn't play. But it's a tough one to say, right? You look at Ecuador. The thing with Ecuador, too, is I know they weren't missing, I guess, like you mentioned, Chris Richards, like us, and Reyna that just wasn't playing. But Ecuador's youth, you're going to see random players like Caicedo popping up right now, 
right? But we're talking about the now. If I had a game right now, United States and Ecuador, and I know we have Anthony Hudson right now, but let's say Greg Berhalter was still there. And Greg Berhalter would have started Richards probably, I think. My um, worry is he would have started Richards with Zimmerman, right? You might Zimmerman be right on that. Chris Richards' replacement. That's the but problem. Let's assume Let's assume that, that Greg Berhalter started Richards next to Ring, which would be our best partnership right now. If we played Ecuador right now, I would give Ecuador a tiny, tiny bit of an advantage. They have an actual center for that scores goals. We don't have that right now. And Valencia scores goals in Turkey at the same level as Haji Wright, though. Well, he's at, he actually looked good, unlike Haji Wright in the World Cup. <laughs> That's true. He actually that looked good. Like we saw, and it's not just service. Like the guy looked firm up top, looked like a good hold up. Good. No, player. I agree. He's better than right. all of our strikers. I'm um, just trying to give perspective, though. Gonzalo Plata and their wingers. Gonzalo Plata and Wea. It's different, right? But it's like, not Wea. It's Gio. On the wing. Well, I guess that's where he would be played for the U.S. So it's hard yeah, to say. Yeah, sure. Right? Then I'll go with Gio, but and Pulisic is better one. than anybody they could throw on the left. One hundred percent. Pulisic is one hundred percent better. Jorginho Dest and Joe Scally, in my opinion, are both better than their right back, who's now playing for Genk. Preciado, right? That he's Preciado, right yeah. He was in Liga Mackeys. He did well enough to get a move to Genk. Like you have to remember, Jackson Perozo did like is a you know trois level defender. Our trois level defender, Eric Palmer Brown, didn't even get called to the roster. Our Genk level defender, Mark McKenzie, didn't even make it onto the roster. Well, I I believe um McKenzie was on the bench too at that time, <laughs> but uh, or he was getting no, he's been starting. It. He's been starting all year for Genk. I the the thing is there's more we're looking almost when we're evaluating this we're looking straight up into talent. I do think there's also a little bit of a mentality difference between the Ecuadorian players and the American players. Uh the word we use in Brazil is they're more cascudo, cascudo. I don't know how to describe it in English. It's just the, there's a different type of grit with these players and you you saw when they played the Dutch team. You saw when they played the Dutch team. Ecuador playing the Dutch team was much different than the U.S. playing the Dutch team. And if you put the United States in the same group as Ecuador, we might have not gotten out. We would have beaten the crap out of Qatar, and we probably would have lost the Dutch just how we lost to the Dutch. And I don't know if we would have beat Senegal. See, I think what you're saying is that it's very close right now, and I agree Extremely. with you. But I also don't think that they've seen Gio Reyna and Chris Richards. Like I think that jumps us above Ecuador if those two start instead of Zimmerman and, say, Wea or even McKenney. However you want to do it, whether it's McKenney or Musa or Wea or Sargent, even if you put Wea up top, you know, um, I, I think this is my honest opinion, and I, and I agree with you that it's very, very close. Let's hope they play each other next year in the Copa America because I think both teams will be better next year. Yes, both of them. Yeah, so that'll be a good. I think they'll equally go up, right? They'll equally go up because all the play the first and one thing to say is these were the two youngest teams in the World Cup, right? Yeah. Yeah, so both so just to make clear one thing too, Gustavo Alfaro has left Ecuador. The, their yeah. coach did a great job. There are very strong rumors that they're going to sign Gareca. If they sign Gareca, it might even be an upgrade. It might even be an upgrade, which would mean Ecuador. So the United States needs to match that, and hopefully we play Ecuador in the Copa America. I think that'll be a great game next year. So you have the U.S. in in fourth. I have mm -hmm. Ecuador. I have the U.S. in fifth place. So okay. I don't think I don't think we need to debate that one. We just kind of did both. Um, Let me ask you, though, if you were ranking it on talent alone, and I don't mean talent necessarily of the starting lineup. I would say a talent of the of the player pool. Who's got a stronger player pool? Well, right now, the U.S. Uh, yeah. in relation to Ecuador. I, I would say Ecuador might have the best player. 
I think Moises Caicedo is the best player, even better than Pulisic I right now. I think that Pulisic has proven more at a higher level, though. Like, I think it's one thing to be a very talented player, but to prove it at Brighton and to win the Champions League are two different things. Well, the, the thing is, he proved it in the Champions League there, too. But, I mean, Moises Caicedo, I guess he wasn't given the opportunity to prove it yet. That's right. The so that's why it's hard for me to say... Like, also, Pulisic put the U.S. on his back at the World Cup, was involved in all of the goals that we scored. Yeah, that's not Caicedo's game. That's the difference. No, it's not. But, like, I just think that for a guy who played a key role in winning the Champions League, to say that a guy who plays for Brighton, and I agree with you, he's above Brighton's level. There's no question he's going to go to Man United or wherever he goes this summer. He might have more raw talent, maybe, than Christian Pulisic, sort of Gio Reyna style, like, I even might argue that Girena might be similar to him in terms of just. I think he just talent. has better development. I don't think it's more talent. Maybe, I think, maybe, I but think, I, still, uh, I would still put Pulisic above Caicedo. I think even if you go in terms of talent, Girena might even just have more. Well, Girena had good development. Pulisic itself, uh, well, he also played. For, it's hard to argue there. I, I guess them. It's very close. I'll say that. In different positions. So it becomes hard to. Yeah, it's harder to. Um, it's kind of like who's better? Um, let's say put like Mo Salah or Van Dyke in their prime. You're like, I don't know, yeah. man. Like, like yeah. they're both very good at what they have to do. Yeah, um, for sure. So let's flip it that way. But yes, in terms of depth of talent and more options, I think the United States has more, right? Um now let's go to number six. Who's your six? I still have Colombia there. And it's what I'll be honest, I'll just say this right now. If Colombia, if this was on talent alone, I would have Colombia in fourth. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. Dude, Colombia, like in talent, I think it's going to match the United States pretty much. I think you're in the head, dude. More, more than the United States. You might be right, actually. Yeah. If you look only on paper, Colombia might. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, actually. I, I would Luis say not Diaz, too much, okay. though. Not too much. Not too not, much. No, no, but it's, it's look, Luis Diaz. Okay, Luis Sinistera, who's like a key player now for Leeds. Um, you've got a guy like Davison Sanchez, right? Who's a rotational player for Spurs, but still. Zapata and Muriel. Zapata and Muriel. Lima is a starter for Bournemouth, right? Uribe is a starter for Porto in midfield. Like that's not, you know, I know Bode is not a starter for Frankfurt full time, but he's still a, a big player for them. Estupinan is like the top player in the championship. And he doesn't even really get that many minutes for Colombia. The center back that started ahead of McKenzie and went, to the Serie A, Lucimi, what Lucimi, he was John Lucimi, yeah. He's Colombian, and the the one that he's plays in with now, him, no? yeah, he went to the Serie A. Um, Cuesta that plays with Cuesta him, plays with him, Marquendi is. I mean, Arango was actually much better than like Jesus Ferreira in MLS, one MLS Cup. He doesn't yeah. make the roster for them. Oh, it's Chucho or Cucho, Cucho yeah. Cucho, Cucho Hernandez Hernando. doesn't really make it. It's Zapata, Muriel. Uh, I mean, Ag uh, Agudelo is like a rotational starter for Spezia and Serie A. Yeah, I think what happens is when you look at Colombia, their forwards, Sinistera too, I forgot about him. Yeah, Sinistera. Uh, they, they, Yerimina, when you look at their forwards, they're better than the United States in the forwards, right? If you put overall winger, center forward, everything together, yeah. depth, they have more. When you look at the defense, if we play our best, they're, it's about similar or they might be a bit better, right? At least more stable. I would stable. Uribe as a, a DM, a defensive midfield above Tyler Adams right now. He might be. Yeah, he might be. He's definitely better on the ball than Tyler Adams. But yeah. but I think the U.S. midfield is better than Colombia's overall. I think we have a better midfield. Yeah, if you have Geo in that midfield, if you have a Geo McKinney, McKinney. Adams midfield, then yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, our midfield is better than Colombia. But I would say 
possibly their defense is better than us and they're forwards for sure. There's no doubt in my mind they're forwards, right? Yeah. Um, like, I mean, Moody James Al- Rodriguez can't even, like, you know what I mean? He's now yeah, playing for Olympiacos. He's yeah, still he's, he, Yeah, he's, James is one of those players that I, I talk about how he was born in the wrong era. Right. He's like an 80s player, doesn't run too much, doesn't. And I understand I, I prefer technical players, but I'm just saying that, you know, he doesn't really. I mean, Alan Senora should link up and start their own. Yeah. Team. Yeah. Wrong era. Pauline Hikigansu. <laughs> Remember him? <laughs> He's also born in the wrong era. But also, yeah. there's that center forward, um, the fire, um, John Duran, that they just John sold Duran, to us. Yeah. Well, Juan Cuadrado still that, plays, right? dude. Juan Cuadrado is still there. Yeah. Cuadrado um, is still there. So. This is a team that, yes, I, I think you might be right. Like, if you only look strictly on talent, yeah, they're, they're either the same or they might even be above the U.S. But, again, they didn't make the World Cup. They were a disaster in qualifying under Carlos Queiroz. They switched coach. They lost, they lost 6-1 to Ecuador, just for context here. Yeah. Um, they did bounce back. They looked better. They beat Mexico before the World Cup. but And, and I guess we put them already ahead of Mexico. I have Colombian sixth place, too. Yeah. But... If they get a good coach and they bounce back in terms of talent, they could sneak in that fourth and challenge Uruguay one point for third. The same way I think the U.S. eventually can challenge Uruguay. Yeah. Um, so Colombia six. Who's your seventh? I have Mexico. Me I have too. Mexico ahead of Peru. I think that's also oh, you have Peru in eighth. Yes. I think that's where we're going to start disagreeing. I don't have Peru in eighth. You don't have Peru in eighth? Okay. No, I have Mexico in seventh, just like you. So behind all the teams we mentioned, behind Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, Ecuador, U.S., and Colombia. But my eighth is Paraguay. Interesting. I thought you were going to put Canada in eighth. No, I think Canada is extremely overrated because they had a good run in a couple months. They're going to show up in this ranking, so the Canadians can chill. Don't need to curse me out here. But I actually think – I know they didn't make the World Cup, too. But I think like looking at the team and how they're going, how it's projecting, and the players they have, I think Paraguay is number eight. And Peru, they lost Gareca. I thought Peru, Peru personally, I think they overachieved the last two cycles, right, with the players they have. I think Gareca knew how to get the best out of the, these players and grind out results. So I think you're going to see a very sharp decline from Peru effective immediately, like right now, like if they played right now, you'd see a sharp decline. Right. So I put I don't have Peru here right now. I have Mexico and then I have Paraguay. And when you look at Paraguay, just for context for many people, their center back, Gustavo Gomez, plays for Palmeiras. He's been arguably the best center back in South America the past few years. Yeah. One, two Libertadores. Yeah. Um, experienced 29-year-old in his prime. Um, Julio Enciso is a very promising player from Brighton, which I think they're going to start bringing in. He's a forward. Miguel Almiron, I don't have to talk much about him. The guy has actually been fantastic in the Premier League, right? He's yeah. better than any Peruvian. These three guys that I mentioned, right? Well, at least Gustavo Gomez and Miguel Almiron are better than any Peruvian player right now. But when you continue to go and you look at some other guys they have, they can compete. You have also Sana- Sanabria that plays in Italy. There's also the Balbuena brothers. Uh, not yeah. Balbuena, Valbuena brothers. They are not brilliant or anything. But they're good players that would probably start for Peru. Balbuena, that starts for Corinthians in Brazil, our rivals, another player. Richard Sante, Sh- Sanchez plays for Club America, right? So I actually think that they have also players playing Boca Junior, Cerro Porteño, good South American teams. 
I think Paraguay, which in the past they used to be like heading header merchants, right? You a lot of crosses, a lot of goal scoring, but they look like they have some interesting players. And I think they are the eighth best team in the Americas right now. And we're gonna see more of that next year in the Copa America. I think they're gonna play in 2026 also. So I, I agree with everything you said, but at the end of the day, they still got fifth in World Cup qualifying. Peru. Sixth, I think. No, fifth. Peru, you mean Peru, yeah, not Peru. Paraguay. That's yeah, yeah, why Peru. I have Peru. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, okay. We're on different. Mexico is seventh for me. Me too. Uh, yeah, and then I have Peru in eighth. Just because of performance over talent. I guess and if you look at that, yeah, but how much did you take into consideration the sharp decline? You're probably going to see with them with Gareca departing because yeah. they weren't that good before him, right? Remember that. It's, that's why we're in between coaches. It's kind of hard to say right now. Like, it's the same with the U.S., right? Under Greg Berhalter... We oh, underachieved compared to our talent level. We can only go up then. <laughs> if we get Ancelotti, well, if Hudson stays in charge, we might not go up. <laughs> That's true. If it's Hudson, you might as well bring Greg back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, as long, as, if it's Hudson, as long as Greg says, I'm cool with Gio and I'm bringing him back, it's like, okay, just bring Greg instead of Anthony yeah. Hudson. <laughs> so long as Gio and Greg can make up, I'd rather that than Hudson for sure. But in terms of performance, I still have to say Peru for me is ahead of ahead of colombia no no ahead of um ahead of i'm, I'm uh, sorry of yeah, paraguay paraguay yeah paraguay yeah i'm gonna go with paraguay and, and i guess we're gonna find out i might it might be a bold bet for me but i think peru is gonna be a sharp decline i think peru is gonna be hitting the levels of venezuela and, Col and bolivia i think that's what's gonna happen to peru like and i said effective immediately right now that they lost their coach i'm just i guess because i followed them a bit more I'm already seeing the implications of them losing the coach that got them to overachieve two cycles. The same way you say the U.S. underachieved, and that might be that was sort of the reason why you projected them above Ecuador. Remember, it's like I think the underachieved. I think the U.S. has more than yeah, what we saw under Berhalter. It wasn't just that; it was also the fact they left out key players. Part of it was Berhalter, right? Reina was Berhalter. Uh, so th that's what I'm doing with Peru and Paraguay here. I'm looking at it and I'm like, I think Peru has been overachieving and they just lost the big element they had that led to the overachievement along with i mean in the past the other world cup they made they had some veterans that they've lost already a few years back like fafan um guerrero they're done uh but okay you'll just go peru i'm gonna go with paraguay uh who's your nine canada okay me too <laughs> <laughs> and i know canadians are gonna be angry as they tend to be they shouldn't be they're making look Look, you go six years ago, Canada didn't even exist in soccer. And now they're Absolutely. top 10 of the Americas. Okay, but what they're going to say, let me just play devil's advocate for Canada for a second. They're going to say, we chopped World Cup qualifying and you used that as a bit of leverage for all the other teams and you're not using it for us because at the end of the day, you guys are biased and you're assholes and you don't like our maple syrup and you should shut up, man. I do like their maple syrup. I'm not a big maple syrup guy in general. So it's not an like Canadian it. thing. I just don't care about it. I don't much care for it. I will say yes, but you did call if you're, if we're taking into, into account results, you did do well in world cup qualifying in the gold cup. You did not win the gold cup. You're not even contention to win the nation's league. Okay. Cause we're talking about the last year or two. Right. And then you completely flopped at the world cup. I'm not talking about didn't make it out of your group. I'm talking about finishing bottom of your group without getting a single point. You have to take that. If you're going to talk about results, you can take into World Cup qualifying, sure. 
but you still finished bottom of your group with no points. And I think that has to be taken into consideration as well as the fact that you are brand spanking new to the scene. Like welcome to the, to being relevant in soccer, even in the region, forget the world. You're not even relevant in the world yet. Okay. Your first world cup was a disaster. The worst team at the world cup after Qatar. So yeah, you're not, you're not, you're good. I'm glad you're in the top 10 and I want Canada to continue to get better because it's good for us. Like Alistair Johnson going to, you know, Celtic is good for Canada. He's going to improve there. Ismail Kone, right. Going to Watford is good. He's going to improve there. Those are good things right now. I still think Canada is in ninth until they prove otherwise. Yeah, and again, CONCACAF is a weird confederation. A lot of the results are about grinding results. It's like you play away. That Everything's very weird. It's not really a good measurement for quality overall. Uh, we've seen in the past, like Mexico in the 2014 cycle almost missed the World Cup, and then they get to the World Cup, and they're tying Brazil in Brazil, yeah. right? So I guess Canadians will learn that over time. It's For a lot of them, it was like the first World Cup cycle they might have followed in their lives for a lot of them. Uh, in CONCACAF specifically. So, again, I, I have Canada ninth, which I'll say one thing to end on a positive note for Canada. Just want to add one thing that you said. Canada was the worst team in the World Cup only outside of um, only outside of Group A of Qatar, right? And they're going to go and say two of our national teams were semifinalists. Okay, Canada, slow down with that. First, Morocco was an underdog story. Things worked out for them. They were bunkering and getting results credit to them because they achieved it no cheating nothing but they're not like a semi-finalist quality team yeah. right in croatia not a brazilian bias here but let's not forget the team the game could have ended 3-0 brazil and brazil had the lead three minutes in and croatia got a goal that deflected and they went through again credit to croatia but they were also not entirely a semi-finalist team all right if everything had gone right morocco would have gone down earlier and, and croatia should have lost to brazil so, yes, you had a tougher group than the United States, but don't pretend that you had two top four teams in terms of actual quality in your group, if that makes any sense. Also, it's one thing to not get out of your group because you had two top four teams in that group. It's another thing to not get a single point in your group, right? There's a big difference. Yeah. Let's say you got three points, but you didn't get out of the group or four points. You didn't get out of the group. Zero points is a very different story. But Pete, they got the We Outplayed Belgium Award. Congratulations. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good, right? Like they didn't like that when Burhalter said it, right? Remember when Burhalter said we outplayed them? They Which didn't like that. Yeah. But if you don't like that, then you also can't use it against other teams when you lose, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like congratulations for your trophy here. The I outplayed Belgium, which by the way got knocked down at the group stage trophy. Right, right. Uh, but but to end on a positive note for Canada, I think out of the teams we saw in the World Cup and out of the teams in this cycle, and out of the teams in this list. Canada deserves one award, and it's a legitimate award. They are the most improved national team from one cycle to another. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not close. It's nope. not close. It's not close. They were, they were, look, no offense. From the 2018 cycle, Canada was irrelevant. Now, they when you come in, qualify for the hex. No, yeah, they, they didn't exist. Like, no one cared. Like, Canadian yeah. soccer didn't exist. Now, you move on to the 2022 cycle, as much as it looks like we're hating on Canada. Canada's a team that, besides Brazil and Argentina, I expect them to give trouble or beat any team from third to seventh or to eighth. They can beat the U.S. They can yeah. beat Uruguay. Oh, right? They can beat. I, I mean, Brazil and Argentina. I don't expect them to beat. Could it happen? Like out of ten games, maybe they win one. But yeah. all these other teams, they can beat them. So yeah. Canada, as much as you all might think we're hating on Canada, 
they are the most improved national team from one cycle to another, from 2018 to the 2022 cycle, in my opinion, yours apparently too. And the best story from CONCACAF in the last four years is not the rise of the U.S. and our talent. The best story is, Con- is Canada becoming a legitimate contender in CONCACAF now. Mm-hmm. Like I, now, the, the next step for Canada is to win a trophy, right? Which Mexico they can't the summer, maybe. have dozens of trophies from the last 20 years, right? Nation, Gold Cup, Nations Day, whatever. You have two opportunities now this summer, Canada, to win a trophy. If you don't win either of those trophies, you have no claim to the CONCACAF crown. Mm-hmm. And then now, Pete, number 10, minus Costa Rica, actually. Yeah, I'm saying. Same. same. So you don't even have Paraguay in your top 10. I don't. You don't. Yeah, I don't have Peru because I'm I'm actually going to stick to, I'm going to die on this hill that Peru's going to have a sharp decline. Now, I don't think Costa Rica has much more talent than Peru. I think it's pretty close. But Keylor Navas is still there. I don't think he's slowing down. He's going to go play, I think, in Nottingham Forest in the Premier League, going to get minutes. There is also some young players that are popping up with Costa Rica that are quite interesting that could blend in and change. But again, it kind of goes like from 10 down. If you go like Costa Rica, um, Chile, Bolivia, Venezuela, Chile declined quite a bit. I would say if I went based off talent, I think Jamaica would have gone in my top 10, right? But when you put in their federation into account, they ruin it. Because you look at Jamaica, you have Leon Bailey. Ethan Pinock playing for Brentford. Mikel Antonio is a fantastic player. Many other guys even that we could goal, mention here. Even though he plays in MLS, it's very Andre good. Blake, the best yeah. goalkeeper in yeah. MLS right now. So yeah. there's a lot of talent there in Jamaica, but I need to see it to believe it. It goes back to the whole thing. Honestly, if it's talent, they're going to sneak in their ninth ace. They could they'll probably be above Paraguay right there. But it, that's not what we're counting for. Jamaica has been a complete mess, and we'll see how they do now. They don't have... Um, Tapa Whitmore, the previous coach anymore. Yeah. We'll see. And sometimes they sneak in and do well, a little bit. They got a draw with Mexico in Nations League at home. I'll give them that. Mexico played a B team, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that's on Mexico, right? Like if they go to Mexico and get a draw, now all of a sudden, what if they emerge from their group instead of Mexico? Then props to them. Seems like they might be getting things on track. But I have Costa Rica there, but it was kind of one that I was just like 10th place, Costa Rica, Jamaica, Chile, Bolivia, Venezuela. It's like, who's the tallest Smurf here? It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I'm with you there. Who do you have? Costa Rica? Yeah, Costa Rica 10th. This was a long podcast, just the two of us, because it was a fun talk. It was fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, you we, think people we do a week every week, but we thought this one was a good one to do. Yeah, some weeks we will, some we won't. Do you think the guy uh, that called us brain dead enjoyed the brain dead podcast today? I don't know. I don't know. My appeal this week is whoever it is, go click on his articles so he isn't so angry. I think yeah, that the, might be the core of his issue. <laughs> the Sounders article. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you'd like, drop a review. Even if you hate us, if you like us, do as you wish. This is a free country. Enjoy it. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.